go to the stuff that's interesting to you. Don't feel like this is a checklist and if you don't check everything off the list that you've somehow failed as a traveler. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 11 of the Trip Hacks DC podcast. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Trip Hacks DC Tours. If you're listening to this podcast in the summer, that means you're running out of time to book our popular monumental trivia tour. Part monuments tour, part trivia game. You can learn more over at triphacksdc.com slash tours. Today I am joined by Allie Zeller, and we are going to discuss mistakes that Washington, D.C. visitors make, and most importantly, how you can avoid making them. Allie is a world traveler, tour guide, and if you're a subscriber to the Trip Hacks DC YouTube channel, you might recognize her voice from our What to Peck for your trip video, which, by the way, is one of the most popular videos on the channel right now. So thank you, Allie, for joining me here for the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm really happy that you're joining me for this because I feel like people have gotten a lot of valuable information from the video that you did with me back uh, in the early days of Trip Hacks DC. And as a world traveler and, more importantly, as a local, I think you have a very unique perspective that you can help people with when they're trying to figure out how to avoid some of the common mistakes that people make when they visit. Hopefully. I've... I've been in D.C. 10 years, and my family's from elsewhere, and uh, I've had a lot of visitors come and and make a lot of these mistakes that we're going to talk through, so this this will be fun. So I think I had originally titled this episode something like, You're Doing It Wrong, but (laughs) decided that uh, that might be a little too harsh, so I'm going to retitle it so that it's a little bit softer, because we don't want people to feel bad if they make a mistake. We have all made travel mistakes, and including me. I certainly make plenty when I go places. I I do, too. I mean, I even mess up on what what to pack quite <laughs> quite quite often uh, the wrong shoes for the wrong uh climate can it can be tricky, and shoes yeah. are some of the trickiest uh, things to master. I know around here it's it's a little easier because if you have comfortable walking shoes, you're good for most situations. But yeah. we have a whole bunch of mistakes that we wrote before the episode that we're going to run through, and then we're going to give some information about how people can avoid making them. So let's just go ahead and jump into it. So the first mistake that people make all the time, and this is a big one that I see frequently, is over-planning the trip. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I'm guilty of this myself. I have a, a pretty intense travel spreadsheet that <laughs> that I do to map out my trips. But uh, I think when, when you're traveling anywhere, it's impo- important to set realistic expectations and, and not think that you're, you're going to fit in everything. And especially in D.C., fit in every single Smithsonian Museum is, is probably not as much of a realistic I think Goals. it's I think it's fair to say that people want to see, quote unquote, everything. Mm-hmm. And you can't. You just can't. I have not seen, quote unquote, everything. You, I'm sure, have not either. (laughs) And if you wanted to spend every single day for a month going to various attractions, museums, sites, eating at all the restaurants, uh, it it would take a month and you would still have stuff left over. So that's that's the thing you just have to acknowledge when you're planning your trip is that, yeah, you want to do all the cool stuff we have here. And the more days that you can budget, the the more likely that you're going to be able to hit the things that you want to do. What what do you think is the the way that you would plan your trip if you were thinking about, you know, I've only got five days or I've mm-hmm. only got three days? Like how should people prioritize? How should they think about making that spreadsheet that you are talking about? I think when you're visiting a city, it can be uh, travel between 
destinations can can take a bit longer than expected. So I would map out each day based on geographic spots. So this day I'm going to do this half of the mall. This day I'm going to go down to Mount Vernon. Um, you know, this day I'm going to go go up by the Capitol building. Yeah. So thinking about it in terms of you know day one will be. Georgetown and vicinity. Day two mm-hmm. will be, I'm going to go out of town. I'm going to go to Mount Vernon uh, and do the stuff that's a little farther away. Yeah. yeah. I think that's how I'd recommend breaking it up. And then you get to see a new site every day without without it feeling like you're just, you just keep going back to the same spots. Yeah. A related mistake that people make is assuming that everything's really close together or perhaps assuming that you know, back home, the traffic isn't that heavy. And so you can get from one side of town to the complete other side of town in 10 minutes. Right. Uh, and that's just not re- realistic around here, especially if you're trying to go anywhere during rush hour, which nowadays is like half the day or oh. a third of the day. Yeah. So, yeah. So when you when you're, you know, especially when you're uh, on Metro, it, it can take longer than when you're driving places. But when you, even when you're driving, you're in the back of a cab or the back of an Uber. Uh, it can take forever to get across downtown um, when everybody else is trying to do it. Yeah, I think that really leads us into our next mistake is staying too far from downtown. So I have a, a guide that I refer people to all the time, and it has 11 areas of the city wow. where I recommend that they stay. And most of them are in the city, and then there are a few in Virginia. But the thing that they all have in common is that they're all close to the sites and they're all close to the metro. And um, when when you say staying too far from downtown, wh- where exactly are you thinking in that regard? I've heard of people staying as far out as, as Fairfax, and and then you know you might save save some money by doing that, but you lose that in in time that you're wasting on your vacation traveling in. Yeah, time and metro is not free. No, and the farther you travel, the the more expensive it is. So that's that's something that I try to hammer home when I'm doing videos about the metro. Is that uh, you know the the average fare you can probably expect to pay if you're staying downtown and seeing the sights is like two fifty, mm-hmm. but the maximum fare is currently six dollars. So if you're staying way at the end of the line and you're traveling during the morning or the evening rush hours, which is you know total of like eight hours of our day, uh, you're looking at six dollars per person. So now you've got a family of four, mm-hmm. so you're looking at twenty four dollars each way, and now you got to come back at the end of the day. So that's that's forty eight dollars just to get yeah. in and out of the city. So that's a that's a decent chunk of change. And yep. and this summer, uh, Metro is under construction. So uh, I, I'm not recommending people stay in Old Town Alexandria because they're, they're not going to have access to Metro. Um, there is the water taxi, which is, is a wonderful amenity. And you can use that to get uh, from Old Town Alexandria to the wharf in D.C. But it costs $10 per person each way. So it's, it's even more expensive than, than riding on the Metro. So staying far from downtown is definitely one that um, is a mistake that I see all the time. So I recommend if you can if you can swing it, try to pick one of those areas that I that I highlight. There's there's eleven of them, so hopefully one of them will work out for you. Yeah. Uh, another one uh, related to that as well is getting sticker shock when you come. Oh yeah, my uh, I have a lot of family from Ohio, and and usually the first thing they say when they get here is, "How do you afford to live here?" <laughs> well, what do you say? How do you afford to live here? <laughs> I say there's uh, I don't have a car, so. So there's lots of savings in in some areas, but um, you know, understanding that living in a city has has high costs of living, and um, you know, some things are cheap, and you know, I don't have to pay for parking, and I can get around by by scooters. Uh, but you know, some things are are a bit expensive, like beer and wine. So that's a great example of how visitors can save money, which is don't get the rental car at the airport. <laughs> Instead, take public transportation to your hotel, and when you want to get around. Scoot around, walk around, bike around, uh, use public transportation. Um, think like think like Allie, I guess. How does how does she afford <laughs> to live here? And then how can you apply that to your own trip? 
Yep. There, there's also other ways around it and, you know, understanding that, um, you know, you don't need to eat out for every single meal and um, and most of the museums are free. So so a lot of your day is going to be spent costing nothing and giving you a little bit extra back that you can have a really nice meal at, at dinner time. So you said beer and wine yeah. uh, are expensive. So I, I guess I've lived in D.C. so long that I don't even know what the cost of a beer and wine outside the oh. city is. So w- w- I know how much it costs here. Uh, you know, at my favorite bar, I think it's usually six, seven, or eight dollars for a beer and nine or ten dollars for a wine. And so, mm-hmm. so elsewhere in your travels, what what do you pay when you go to a different city? Well, when I go to Ohio, I I get a bit excited about a, a bucket of Bud Lights for ten dollars, and, <laughs> and so so that I, I think that's when you're. I, I don't drink as nice as you do, but um, <laughs> I think that's the the expectation. I guess, I guess that's just my personal a place that I like. It's a little bit uh, higher up than a bucket of buds, but <laughs> I don't think you can get that for ten dollars in D.C. Any right. bar that's going to offer that is probably going to I don't know charge twenty bucks for that. So it's it's a, a good premium that you're going to pay over certain parts of town. So what um, you know what what kind of tips do you have for people who don't want to? stay home. They want to eat out at meals. They want to check out our restaurant scene, but they're also kind of on a budget. Like what are some of the good lower priced options that you have come across? So so my top tip is to move yourself away from from the tourist center and you know get into one of the neighborhoods. And that's where you're going to find you know, real people like Rob and I who live in the city and um, some, some lower cost options. D- DC has a fantastic scene for fast casual and we have a lot of options for quick grab-and-go sandwiches, salads, and um, and things that, that aren't super expensive for lunch but but are also really great. So that's something that my guest uh, Austin brought up in our you know, Visiting with Kids podcast is the fast casual options here are top-notch. And I guess I didn't appreciate that this hasn't entirely caught on in the rest of the country because I know, uh, you know, Chipotle is like an example of a fast casual restaurant and that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there are similar places all around the country and all around the world. But we have um, really y- unique uh, options as well that you're not going to find elsewhere. So I know for lunch today, uh, we just ate at a place called Grazi Grazi, which is mm-hmm. uh, a, a sandwich restaurant, a hoagie restaurant, and you're not going to find that anywhere else in the country. So it's good to take advantage of, of options like that when you're here. Yep. I think that uh, kind of – you just suggested something that made me think of another mistake that we identified, which is uh, never leaving the National Mall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are – you know, if you're here for the sites and for the history, there is no shortage of that elsewhere in the city. So going around to DuPont Circle, there's little museums that you can see and historic sites and world embassies. Um, but – but leaving the mall, you get more of a flavor of the city as well as great food options, great cultural experiences as well. The National Mall is where you're going to come when you come on my tour, see the monuments, the memorials, and where you're going to go during the day to see the museums. And so what are some of the neighborhoods that, that you like to take people to when somebody – one of your friends, one of your family members comes and they say, Allie, I'm sick of this tourist stuff. Show me the, show me the good stuff. Where are you taking them around town? It depends on it depends on who's in town. Uh, my parents love to to walk around Georgetown. They like the shopping that's there, but they also love walking through the neighborhoods and seeing where the Kennedys used to live and uh, taking taking a stroll along the canal. For for my friends from from college who come to visit me, they they really like the the U Street area. It has a lot of a lot of flavor, a lot of a lot of really interesting and fun things to see and do. 
I think, you know, perhaps a generation uh, up above us is the Georgetown crowd, and that's a great place. And that's also a great place to come when you have kids because they have the Georgetown Waterfront Park, which uh, has an amazing water feature. I think I believe it's called the Splash Pad. That's what yeah. Tina told me when she did our kids' video. And they just love it, and especially on a hot day like today, uh, it's a great place to just let your kid run around and have fun. And then, of course, they've got shopping, so you can shop or you can window shop and you can go to the various cafes and restaurants that are over in Georgetown. Uh, and U Street's where the nightlife is. Um, just in the last episode of the, the podcast, my guest Brad talked about all the concert venues that are over there. So when you're in town for live music, that's the place to be more or less uh, when you want to check that stuff out. I can say that uh, uh, the um, area around Nationals Park has come up in a few of the previous podcast episodes. People really like to go to the park that's over there called the Yards Park. That's another Great place to bring your kids to run around and uh, splash in the water and have fun. And there's a bunch of new restaurants over there uh, that that people really like to go to. Yeah, that's a great spot, too, to note uh, if you are on the mall and you want to grab something in a neighborhood quickly. Uh, it's walking distance from the Capitol building to get down to Navy Yard and, and see the ballpark and all those restaurants. Yeah. So it's uh, – things in D.C. are surprisingly close. I, I usually recommend people download CityMapper on their phone so that they know how to get around. But – uh, this is a walking city, and so if if you can swing it, uh, you know, walking from place to place is actually a really great way of of getting around. One of the next ones that uh, we have identified is you know packing the wrong stuff, specifically the wrong shoes. And so if you're going to be walking <laughs> everywhere, you don't want to have uncomfortable shoes on. No, uh, same with I mean, go back and watch our video from earlier, but too heavy of a bag. What? Uh, you know what? What kind of stuff is ne- is necessary to have in your bag, and what kind of stuff is just bogging you down? Well, I think you're you've got to win lose with umbrellas. Mm-hmm. It's either going to be the best thing you have in your bag, or it's going to make you so mad by the, <laughs> by the end. Well, I have an umbrella in my bag right now. You can see right behind me, and that never leaves because in the summer those thunderstorms pop up out of nowhere, yeah. and if you don't have it, it's almost a guarantee you're going to get wet. That's true. I know a photographer came on my tour and he was telling me that the worst part about being a photographer is that he's always carrying around all this gear, lenses, hard drives, all kinds of stuff that, uh, you know, he he feels like he needs to get the shots that he wants, but that is just really weighing him down. Oh, yeah. So when you want to come with your family, uh, an iPhone is actually a surprisingly good camera that you're going to have with you anyway. Another one that uh, we identified related to that is not understanding the weather or I guess the, mm. what I wrote down is abusing the 10-day forecast. <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by this is that I think one of the biggest disservices that uh, the weather stations and um, the weather apps have done to us tour guides is producing these 10-day forecasts <laughs> because people will sign up for a tour and then the 10-day forecast hits and they'll send me an email and they'll say, oh, my God, Rob, it's going to rain on the day of our tour. What should we do? Can we reschedule? Yep. And the reality is uh, we barely know what the weather's going to be like in an hour. Uh, we were just talking over lunch that, like, it's going to storm. We just don't know exactly when it's going to hit. Yeah. It's the most beautiful day in D.C. today, and but apparently some storm is going to happen. Yeah, and uh, probably as soon as I get on my bike to ride home, it's just going to op- – the sky's going to open up and completely pour on me. So what, what do you think people should do as far as, you know, preparing for the weather without, you know, um, overcomplicating it? Pack an extra pair of shoes uh, for your trip but and an umbrella, but – but don't stress about it too much. Yeah, just uh, – I guess maybe just assume you're going to get wet yes. at some point. <laughs> um, it's actually easier in the winter because in the winter it's a little more predictable. Like 
it's going to be cold, it's going to be gray, and you're going to need a coat. Uh, and that's yeah. pretty much it. Uh, but in the summer, that's when things really start to get a little tricky and a little bit of comp- a little bit a little complicated. Yeah. On that note, it does get quite hot and sticky in the summer, so extra shirts are are probably a good idea to pack or even put in your bag. That's that's worth putting in your bag. That's for. actually a good one. So if you're going to be here for five days, you want more than five shirts because ten shirts minimum. Ten minimum. Okay, <laughs> you you heard it here first. Uh, don't overpack, but also simultaneously bring at least ten shirts with you because yes. what's going to happen is you're going to go out to see something during the day. You're going to go back to your hotel. You're going to be completely sweaty and gross, and then you'll take a shower before dinner, but then you need something to change into. Yep. So that makes total sense to me. Um, I think uh, I, I hope people real, uh, you know appreciate that that's something that you might not consider, but definitely can help you out a lot. So the next one, the next few are related to transportation. So this mistake is th- the big one. If you make this mistake, you will be in big trouble, and it is <laughs> standing on the left. I knew what you were going to say before you even got to the to the mistake. It's every. Every local has has a gripe with with out of towners who come in and they you know, slow them down on their way to work by by standing on the left. And uh, just in case you are are new to the podcast or TripX DC, what what we mean is on a metro escalator, you don't stand on the left side of it. Uh, you if you stand, you want to stand. You're welcome to do that, and you do it on the right side of the escalator, and you reserve the left lane for people who are walking uh, up and down. And the reason why it's such a big faux pas is because uh, this is a place where people have jobs and go to work and uh, everybody's always in a hurry. And so if, if you're the person who's standing on the left side of an escalator, especially one of those really long ones, uh, like mm-hmm. in some stations, uh, you're going to get you're going to get a little comment about getting out of the way. Yep. Uh, when I had uh, the Walters last summer, we, we did a few videos when, when they came to town um, from Walters World, a great YouTube channel, great family. And uh, we did a, a video about the don'ts of D.C. And I, I made sure to tell him, Mark, you got to put this as number one. And because more people are going to watch your video than are going to watch mine. And they need to know this is the big one. Don't stand on the left side of the metro escalator. Same so. with don't bring your stroller on the escalator or or anything that's going to take up more space than is than is necessary. There are plenty of elevators and, and other ways of getting up and down. The, uh, officially, if you have a stroller, you're supposed to use the elevator. Oh. Um, that is the official rule. Now, elevators are often broken. And I, I actually asked Austin about this in our uh, you know, uh, DC with Kids podcast. And he said his, his hack is that he has a – uh, you know, like the cheapest Costco stroller, and it folds up to like the size of an umbrella. So when they get there, you can just pick the kid up, hold his hand or her hand, and then just carry the umbrella, uh, carry the stroller like it's an umbrella. So I actually thought that was genius. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of strollers you see in DC are like these big three wheeled behemoths because you know they're strong and uh, they can go over the un- uneven sidewalks and everything like that. But um, yeah, if you do have a stroller, uh, smaller ones tend to be a little little easier to navigate and elevators are great if you can use them. Uh, another transportation related mistake is over relying on Uber and Lyft. You know, I, I think that these are great services and they one of the best things about them is that they've helped the taxi industry really clean up their act mm-hmm. because in the in the the old days, uh, taxis were just awful. They would refuse to take you places. They would not run the meter. They would try to, yeah. you know, take an inefficient route to run it up, and and it was just bad. And then these guys came on the scene, and um, now it's a whole lot better. A lot of transparency in where you're going and how you're going to get there and <laughs> when you're going to get there. But on the flip side of that is that you get what you pay for in some ways, and. Um, 
Uber and Lyft, at least now in summer 2019, still have really low prices. Whether that's going to hold is un- unknown. We don't know now that they're both public companies if they're going to raise the prices to make the shareholders happy. But they, um, they're really cheap and the, the drivers are not always uh, from here. They often drive in from really long distances to work shifts because they, they don't have work out in uh, the part of Virginia or Maryland or even farther where they live. So they, they don't know the town that well. I actually almost missed a flight once because the – my uh, my driver was supposed to go south on the parkway and turn north and drove me away from the airport. So, um, you know, it's a great service, but I, I see nowadays people, they use it for every single ride. And they don't even consider Metro anymore. They don't consider using Circulator Bus. And places that they could easily walk, it might be a 20-minute walk, but it's totally doable. They're just pulling out the app, calling an Uber, and, and hopping in. Yeah, um, especially with the traffic, you might actually get there faster if you walk than, than if you – Take the Uber. Yeah, and uh, walking's free. It's a uh, great exercise. I obviously run a walking tour, so I think that walking is the best way <laughs> to get around everywhere. But yeah, it is something that um, you know when when taxis were the thing, people used them when they needed them, and they used Metro when it was the best option, and uh, they walked sometimes. But I, I do worry that uh, people people think that oh, I'll just I'll just call an Uber every single time I, I need to get someplace, and it winds up costing you a lot. Uh, th- those things add up uh, over time. Yeah. So uh, the next one we have is a mistake that. I hope people don't make because if they come on the tour, they won't be making this mistake. But uh, wandering aimlessly around the National Mall. This one um, we added because if if you don't sign up for a tour, you're more than welcome to see the monuments and memorials on your own. Just walk around, check them out, ask the park ranger if you have questions. Um, but if you don't have a plan, you're just kind of you're just gonna kind of be walking around looking at them and not even really know why or what you're looking at. What's the distance between the Capitol building to? The Lincoln Memorial. It is approximately 1.8 or 1.9 miles. So you're going to waste a lot of time and energy just walking from end to end trying to figure out where you want to go right. and so, what you're looking at. So on my tour, we we covered three miles, and that is the most efficient route that is possible to do. Mm-hmm. So if you do it in the order that I do it, you're going to spend three miles walking, which is – a lot, but it's you know over three hours, and one mile an hour seems very manageable when you think about it like that. But if you say, oh, I want to wake up and I want to go to Lincoln first thing, and then I want to see Thomas Jefferson because he's really cool too, mm-hmm. and then you backtrack to go see the Vietnam War Memorial because that's a good one to see. Well, you've just wasted a lot of time going from one place to the next that you didn't necessarily have to do. Yeah. So what, what do you do when you go down to the National Mall, either with a tour group or just with some friends or family who are visiting? What's your plan of attack? My plan of attack is to, to know my audience and what they're going to be most excited about. I think there, there are certainly some tried and trues that, that everyone is excited for. They're always excited for Lincoln. They're always excited for the Washington Monument because it's so tall. Uh, and, then, and then from there, I judge whether they'd rather go by gardens or if they're very into the, the war history and um, – some of the other smaller spots on the way. Excellent advice. Uh, go to the stuff that's interesting to you. Don't feel like this is a checklist and if you don't check everything off the list that you've somehow failed as a traveler. This this stuff is here so that you can learn and so that you can enjoy, not just so that you can check stuff off a list, which is the perfect segue into our next mistake, which is going to museums that don't interest you. We have a lot of museums. And they're big. And they cover a very wide range of topics. Yep. And I'm a big history buff. So the American History Museum, the African American History Museum, these are places where I could spend days mm-hmm. and not get bored. 
But that's not everybody. No. So what are your favorite museums? I've, I've lived here a while. I've been a tour guide. I've had a lot of visitors. So, so I have little pieces of every museum that I like. And so, so really my answer to this mistake is to know what's in each museum so you can optimize your time there. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah, because even at my favorite museums, I'm not in love with every single exhibit. That's actually a really good point. So how does one find out what's in the museums? Talk to somebody who knows what's there. Uh, talk to somebody or, or study the maps ahead of time if, if you've got the time and energy uh, to know exactly where that Hope Diamond is and where Dorothy's red slippers are and, and know exactly how to get there. The museum websites for the most part are pretty helpful and they're especially necessary when you're trying to find tre- uh, temporary or rotating exhibits. Mm. Uh, Some of the exhibits at the museums are there all the time, and some are there only for a limited amount of time. So this is uh, true at all the museums. It's perhaps even more true at, I think, the art museums, where they'll have special exhibits that are there for a few months. And uh, if you really want to see it, you really need to make sure you see it, because if you come back next year, it it might already be gone. We had uh, Burning Man at the um, I'm blanking on the name of the museum. Oh, is that the Renwick Gallery? The Renwick. That's right. Thank you for, for that. And uh, I had some family in town. They really wanted to see it. And we saw it. And now it's gone. Yeah. So um, That was a great one, by the way. Yeah. I uh, We have actually a surprisingly large number of great art museums. And I think D.C. is often seen as a history town. And a lot of museums reflect that. But there are a few other places in America where you can travel to see great art. Well, that's also – Another good reason to do your research ahead of time or talk to somebody who knows what where to go because we've got modern art, we've got classic art, diff- sculpture gardens, and, and they can be in different locations. And it's not walking to one building to see it all. Yeah, that's a, 100% true. Uh, this can be a little tricky when you have a family and people have different interests. I know in, in my family, some members of the family are artists and they love the art museums and others could not be more bored when they go. So it's uh, it's OK to split up. Um, uh, if you have small kids, obviously don't let them off on, <laughs> on their own. But maybe mom takes some of the kids to go to one of the museums and dad takes some of the other kids to go to some of the other museums. And I think that's OK. I don't think that there's anything to necessarily be ashamed about if you decide to do that. Um, one of the most popular museums is the Air and Space Museum. Uh, and it, I'm not into it. It's it's not my kind of place. Oh, it's my favorite. Um, so, and this is a perfect example of <laughs> some people's favorites are not other people's favorites. Yeah. So that's the that's the thing that you just kind of got to know yeah. about yourself and your, your family. Uh, another mistake that we have on the list is treating D.C. like it's Disney World or Las Vegas. What this means is essentially that you know, thinking that everything here is here strictly for your entertainment or amusement, which is kind of the case when you go to Disney World or when you go to Las Vegas. Yeah, a lot of people live here and work here. And, you know, there's there's a lot to see and do that is not very tourist friendly. And when you're when you're here in town, people are going to be going to work. They're going to be going to lunch. They're going to be out with their family, kids playing Little League and, and that sort of thing. So a few years ago, I heard a really interesting uh, take on this, which was someone was complaining. They said, you know, I, I don't want to do any of that touristy stuff. That stuff's all boring. And I, I want to I want to do what the locals do. And um, th- this person responded to them and said, OK, I'll, I'll make you a deal. 
you wake up at six, get on the metro, sit at a desk for eight hours, <laughs> pick up the kids from school, and meanwhile, I'll go to the museums and go to the Capitol and look at the National Archives. All that boring touristy stuff you don't want to do. I'll, I'll do all that for you so that you can do the locals kind of thing. So it's, it's not like everything here is just for entertainment and just for amusement. Another reason that that's important is that a lot of the stuff that you're going to see is, is educational, but it's uh, not necessarily or strictly uh, entertaining. And some of the museums certainly um, fit that criteria. The Holocaust Museum is extremely powerful. Everyone should see it. Uh, it you know, should be mandatory viewing for uh, the world population. But it's not the kind of place where you should expect going and saying, I'm going to have a fun afternoon today at this museum. It's just not going to happen. And when you go to Disney World, <laughs> if you're not having fun, they're doing something wrong because that's kind of the whole purpose of uh, of going. So what other mistakes do, do you think that people make when they when they come or that, that you've seen um, when they've been here? Not wanting to do any touristy things. I, I do have friends who come and they go, I don't want to do any of the tourist stuff. But as their host, I like to do the tourist things. So I would say that's a mistake. They're missing out on and at least seeing some, some really important pieces of our American history and uh, some fun things as well. I think that's also – a good way to say that I don't think that we have a lot of tourist traps the way that other cities do. So, you know, if you ask a New Yorker about Times Square, they're going to give you a very strong opinion about it. But we don't really have that here. Uh, other than the McDonald's and the Air and Space Museum. Okay, fair enough. Although <laughs> that did close when they did oh, the renovation, really? okay, when they good. started the renovation of the uh, Air and Space <laughs> Museum. Um, but, you know, I, I think about a tourist trap as a place where uh, out-of-towners go and the, the entire purpose is for people to extract money from them without giving them any real value. And I think about like do we have any like super cheesy like Ripley's Believe It or Not type places? Uh, we do have a Madame Trussades, which you know, it, it's a chain of wax museum. But the, the cool thing is that each, each one is unique to the place where it's located. So we have the, the presidents in ours. And when you go to the one in L.A., they have movie stars. And so it's not entirely – uh, cheesy like that. But I don't think we have, you know, places that I, I have to tell people to stay away from. Now, I think even the, the museums that are not Smithsonian museums, the museum, the spy museum are fantastic museums on their own. Those are even worth, very worth going to. Yeah. The museum, unfortunately, is closing at the oh, end of this gosh. year. And uh, so if, you, if you're listening in 2019, <laughs> make sure you get your ticket. Uh, we still don't know if they're going to be able to find a new location to reopen after their current building uh, gets sold. And Spy Museum, they just reopened their brand new location, Lafont Plaza. I went. It's amazing. Uh, it, it is not free, but if if you're into that kind of thing, they have the coolest interactive exhibits. Um, I used to say the Spy Museum was a great place for kids, but I had so much fun in there that I uh, might not say that anymore. Because I've never it's just, been with kids and I've always had a blast. I know. So <laughs> if, if you're a fan of James Bond and similar movies, I think you're going to have fun no matter what your age is. Yeah. Uh, National Geographic Museum, another one that is not free but is, is really amazing. So I, I think those are all really great, uh, great tips as well. So I really hope that uh, we've identified enough mistakes that we've seen people make that uh, people who are listening to the podcast don't make them because we want you to have a great time when you come. And we've all made mistakes. If, if you do make one, don't stress out. 
Don't feel bad about it. It's it's gonna happen. It's part of travel. I know, and and it's part of the experience too, right? Um, so as long as the mistake isn't standing on the left side of the escalator, then <laughs> I think you're gonna be okay, and and you'll be able to go back and you know tell your family about. Oh, oops, I made this mistake and learn from it. That's the most important thing. As long as you learn from it, that's what matters. Well, Ellie, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge on this topic and uh, for giving people such great advice on what to pack in our What to Pack video as well. So thanks again for, for joining me here today. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.